couple of announcements for you tonight before we begin the study. A couple of announcements. Uh, there is uh, another outreach that uh, Calvary Chapel Fargo and Calvary Chapel Grand Forks we are doing. Uh, let's see, this is uh, Saturday, August 20th, to share the gospel with the city of Wapiton. And uh, Gabby was working on the theme. I don't think she's serious. She was saying it should be Wescue Wapiton. Sort of an Elmer Fudd theme. I don't think that's what's going to carry through. But um, so uh, that one is going to be, uh, that is not a parade for those of you who have been at one of the others or if you saw what we did yesterday down in Jamestown. Uh, but we are going to go share the gospel on Saturday, August 20th and working out the details. Uh, that is going to be an afternoon outreach. Uh, so be in prayer for that. Saturday, August 20th to Wapiton, North Dakota. And if people come over from Breckenridge, that's okay. We're okay if them hear, them hearing the gospel as well. Um, and then the other thing uh, is the conference, the Bible conference to, uh, like I say, uh, how do I say it every year? The Omaha Conference. Uh, it's actually in Bellevue, Nebraska. And th- those dates are Thursday, September 22nd, Friday the 23rd, and Saturday the 24th, uh, finishing up about noon on the 24th. And uh, the church there in times past has done all the meals. And so a lot of it is just getting there. And uh, I treat it like a church retreat. So that is uh, really everybody is invited. It's, it's called a Bible conference. So you're not like, well, it's a leader's conference. I'm not a leader. I can't go. That, this is truly opened up uh, for those that want to hear the word of God and uh, to partake of the fellowship with the saints. There's usually about seven or eight other Calvary chapels there. And uh, I know it's great for uh, harvest time, the September conference. Let's see, yep. You think it'll be late this year? You're going to be harvesting everything on the same days. Have, have wheat and soybeans ever been harvested on the same day ever before? Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Okay, so again, those dates, for those of you who are interested, August 20th to Wapiton, and then September 22nd through the 24th uh, to Omaha for, for the Bible Conference. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for, for Jesus. We thank you for, uh, really grateful, Lord, for the things you have said unto us, recorded in the Word, that we know you said this, and we ask and pray tonight that as we study through the book of Acts, the history uh, of what is written, Lord, that we would be stirred up, we'd be encouraged, we would also continue in the faith. Uh, And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so a couple of things I want to do with tonight. Uh, If you recall, um, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, it's not certainly not literary license, I'm not reinterpreting anything, but uh, what we did last week is we took a look at Acts chapter 8 together with the letter written to the church at Sardis from Revelation 3. Not Sardis, uh, Philadelphia, excuse me. And uh, what we did was to compare spiritual with spiritual. The, the word of God, that, that which is written down, that which takes place. Now, uh, I believe the exciting days that we live in and the, the well, I'll say it, perilous days, prophetic days, causes us to take a look, uh, and and I'll be very honest, 
the, the part of the book of Acts which is most valuable to us is the history of the book of Acts. These things happened. This was the work of God. And, and here we are today where, where mankind is uh, either steering, guiding, saying, proclaiming that, that the work uh, or works of the church or the works of mankind or the work of God continues. And a lot of times we're sorting things out. We, we are, is, is that really God? Is it not God? And I'll be very honest with you, what has been presented um, as, as you can say, God's really blessing or God's really working. If I say that God's really working somewhere or God is really blessing this, this, this church, what immediately comes to your mind? You can answer me tonight. Many people coming. Now, why is it that we think today that the works of God are associated with the number of people? Well, we've been told to think that way. Now, we open up tonight the book of Acts. We left off in 826. Uh, we, we, we see the call upon uh, Philip's life to be a, a table waiter, a deacon, back in chapter 6. You see Stephen together with him in, in one of the seven, uh, two of the seven, right? Philip and Stephen. Stephen's martyred. Saul, Saul of Tarsus, begins to work havoc amongst the church, imprisoning the church for the purpose of bringing them to trial that they can be put to death, like Stephen. And they're scattered. And Philip went down down to Samaria, even though it's north of Jerusalem. Everything from Jerusalem is down in Israel. And, and as he goes down to Samaria, and we see the great work. And in fact, the beginning of chapter 8, we agree with. And that's why describing unto you, asking the Lord, Church of Philadelphia, last days before the Lord comes back, would, Lord, open a door for us. Open a door for your true church. Open a door where we have little strength, but we have the testimony of Jesus. We have the word of God. And, and I think that works really well. And you can see that the effective working of the word of God in, in the ministry, if you will, of, of a, just one of the, one of the men, right? Not, not one of the apostles, not one who was the 12 with Jesus sent out by him, but it speaks of the continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of Christ to the world. It had to begin somewhere. And now we're far more mature, if you will, or the church has multiplied. The church has multiplied so many times that it's divided itself. Isn't that really how to describe the way that mankind has accounted for all the little divisions. So the church being multiplied, having then divided itself into all these groups, and the Bible actually prophesied it would be that way, which is rather interesting when you give an honest study of church history, and, and many today will say this is God, and they'll identify something from church history that this happened here in this locale at this time, and it happened here again, or they did it, we do it. And a lot of people like it, therefore it must be a work of God. Now, I come to this tonight, and I, I go back to the beginning in the history of the book of Acts, 826, while everything's going on in, in Samaria, and Holy Spirit's poured out, uh, word of God, you, you, have, you have a great work of the preaching of the gospel, not just to Samaria, but all the villages, and then an angel of the Lord in verse 26 speaks to Philip saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road. Now, it's written 
in the historical context. And then an angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip. This is written after the fact. It's written to give an account of what took place. So in the middle of what we would say today, that, that God is really blessing that church or, or the Holy Spirit's doing a work there, you'll find that what's documented in, in the history as the Holy Spirit uh, it gives record for us, it, it's a great work, but it's small in numbers. I want to show you something tonight that I believe that the Lord wants us to consider, uh, and, and I, think it's, I think it's true um, in history, and we have to decide what, what really, in our measurement, because uh, we all measure. Yeah? I, I can tell when someone comes into church and they're measuring the church. Is it worthy of me going there? And a lot of times people will say things to me like, well, we're shopping for a church. So I said, well, keep shopping. Right? I say that. And because I, I know that we're, what we're doing in church, we're not a business. I, if, if you came here to shop for a church, you're probably not going to like what we offer because it's not for sale. And I say things like that to people. Now, when I come to this, he's got an angel of the Lord speaks to Philip, spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Damascus. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scriptures in which he was reading, in which he read, was this. Now again, I... I'm like trying to read this in the as I enter into the story, and I like I, I want to be right there. You, you hear my voice? He was reading, but it's history. The place is past tense, which he read was he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken away from from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, now, you, you understand what's taking place here? The eunuch's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, probably picked up a, a scroll of Isaiah. He is one of the, one of the primary people in the, in the government uh, in Ethiopia under Candace and at, at certainly enough money to, to, to get a scroll uh, we, we take for granted. How easy is it to get a Bible? Well, the Bibles that we are giving away this summer as we go out and do outreach, we paid a dollar forty for an entire paper copy of a Bible. It's like it's almost as mind-blowing that, that you would be able to print and have for a dollar forty you could give out the Word of God. And trust me, even though it's available on all these digital resources, there's no connection for unbelievers that this is right on their phone. Now, any more than you don't connect to the stuff they look at all the time on their phone. Now, as we hand this off, and I, I'm going to present it in this way, Philip here is interacting with him over the Word of God. We had Tom stop by our booth yesterday and started to talk with him. He saw our T-shirts, and he started to inquire, and, and started. we prayed with him, and, 
and, and, and praying with him, handed him uh, our very first Bible study of, of the Believer's Bible study series that we hand out, and it's called Believe the Gospel. And we prayed for him. We, we, we helped him through how to do this Bible study with the Bible. And, and the best I can tell, he's been, he's been listening to someone teach the Bible on TV. That's the best. And he's got some things right. And I said, have you ever read the Bible? Before? He says, no. I said, well, here's a Bible. Now, when I come to this place of, of that thing, and, and I say to him, and I will go through this Bible study with you. I said, I will go sit down right now at one of the tables, and I will take you through this Bible study. You and I will do it together. And he says, well, maybe later. And, and he went on his way. And I said, hey, wait a minute. So after you come to this, and if you do that Bible study and you want to call me, here's my phone number. And I wrote down a piece of paper, put it in this Bible. Now, what is God going to do? I don't know what God will do with that. But what did God do in history? We're accounted for here how Philip is interacting with the eunuch over the word of God, the scriptures, the, the prophet Isaiah, his writing. He's come to probably one of the most important witnesses of the Old Testament concerning the sufferings that the Messiah would go through in order to bring all of mankind to God. And how clearly now in reading this, and the question comes up, and it is, is the prophet speaking of himself or is he talking about another man? Philip opened his mouth beginning at the scripture and preached Jesus unto him. Now, let's pause there. And we're going to jump here now a little bit. because um, So we'll pick back up in 36. But we're going to do the same thing, not with the same passage of Scripture, but we're going to do the same thing that Philip and the eunuch did that day. Now, what did they do? They compared you know, Scripture, which was spiritual, right? What Isaiah wrote down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's in the Bible, it's a spiritual book, and they're going to take that which is spiritual, and they're going to compare. And what Philip begins to do is he takes the prophet Isaiah, what was written, and he compares it to the life of Jesus that was lived out and, and he begins to preach Christ, that Isaiah is talking about Christ. And he, and he can now go into detail, and that eunuch who had been up to Jerusalem would have seen, no doubt, one of the sacrifices. He's leaving Jerusalem, hasn't found God. He, he has the scriptures and still hasn't found God. He says, can somebody help me? And lo and behold, an angel of the Lord sent Philip out there. And you'll notice that when he got there, then the Spirit of the Lord says to Philip, now go up to the chariot. It was the spirit who wrote that scripture who spoke to Philip and sent Philip up into that chariot. And the spirit now through Philip begins to compare what Isaiah's written with the life of Jesus Christ with the sacrifices that no doubt the eunuch saw when he was in Jerusalem. Now he saw some other things when he was there, but we can't expound great in detail about what those things were. But I, I now go on to remind you, this is the work of God being of one man being sent to reach one man with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if Tom gives me a phone call and says, I've done the first Bible study, right, and I believe in Jesus Christ now. I've received the gospel. I believe and receive. And that just goes through sin. It goes through the problem of sin and death, and it goes through uh, God's love of why God would send Jesus. It goes through the how, how this uh, Jesus is the sacrifice for sin, and it goes on how this works. How do I receive this? Now, if he comes to faith in Jesus Christ and he gives me a phone call, what would we say about, about the outreach to Jamestown? Here's what I would say. 
That was the work of God. Now, as we measure things, as we're in the world, as we get closer to the Lord coming back, Bible prophecy being fulfilled, days of Noah, days a lot. If you don't think it's a days a lot, you, gotta, you, you must be living in a cave without internet. But if you're connected anywhere to the internet, and, and you know this, there are messages being put forth on how you should think about well, what is right and wrong anymore. All the lines are blurred for some and for others who say, I can clearly see that's not of God. And so let's compare something. Now let's compare spiritual with spiritual. Let's do like we did last week in looking at the evidence of the Spirit upon the work that Philip did in Samaria. And now let's compare this of what's being done in the world now today in many places that will have large numbers. But will there be anything like Acts 8.26 going on? One person sent to another person, and only the Holy Spirit can connect them. Right? He goes out to this intersection and waits for this guy to come by. He gets there, and he hears what he's reading, and all that takes place, the Spirit of God arranged all that. Now, I present unto you this way, right? And I'm going to go at it this way. Let's look first back in the book of Revelation. So I took you to Philadelphia, right, Church of Philadelphia. I believe that, prophetically speaking, the seven letters to the seven churches in advance, describe church history. When you look at the order of the letters written unto each one of those seven churches along a mail route in modern-day Turkey, right? you have Ephesus, you have Pergamos, you have Thyatira, you have uh, Sardis, you have Laodicea, you have Philadelphia, and I missed one of the first ones. I don't know if anybody caught which one I missed. I only named six, but there's seven. We don't need to concern ourselves so much with that. But what am I putting forth? I put forth unto you that the church of Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea are prophetic of the types of churches that will continue up until the time of the rapture of the church. I believe Philadelphia is kept from the hour of trial. It's, it's a picture of the true church being raptured up. And on either side of this is the church. Which one did I miss? Pergamus, yeah? Pergamum, Pergamus. Which one did I miss? Did you say Smyrna? Smyrna. I did not say Smyrna. Ooh, Woo. You know your Bible. All right. So as we do this, I, I want you to see this. The church of Laodicea is the lukewarm church that's described. And now let me change your perspective of the church of Sardis. And we're going to look at chapter 3. So right before the church of Philadelphia is this church called Sardis. And the Lord speaks to his church. Now, do, does the church still hold? hear the Holy Spirit? I put forth unto you, the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, Philip heard from an angel of the Lord and knew that the angel sent him. And when he got to where he was supposed to be at, he heard the Spirit say, go up to the chariot. Now, in Revelation 3, verse 1, it says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God. Think of that like sevenfold spirit of God, not seven holy spirits, but the seven or complete in, in understanding and the reality of the Holy Spirit and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Now, I'll just introduce the church of 
Sardis in that way. And I remind you, the church of Sardis, right, had, a, had many people coming to the church of Sardis, and they had many activities. They may have had a ladies' circle luncheon on Monday, men's prayer, right? They might have had a youth service on Wednesday nights. They might have even had a concert on Saturday night. Now, I remind you, we're living in these days not just primarily where you, you like think of prophecy of the church, and as you measure this or as you understand this, I believe one of the most wonderful things we looked at last week was the work of the Holy Spirit upon the church to continue, and that's the church of Philadelphia, continuing right into the last days. Well, this dead church of Sardis, does, they don't know they're dead. Their works are dead. What makes the works dead? Well, James already answered that, did he not? When James wrote his letter, he says, faith without works is dead. So if you have works and you have a name that you're alive, but you are dead, that means they don't have faith, that they're operating and continuing. And the best way I can describe this to us, maybe they're operating, continuing on what they've always done. This is what we do. And we have service at this time. And, and, and you, can, you can fill a church calendar with activities and still not have the living work of God. I present unto you in Acts 8 where we look at this, and if you're going to measure by numbers, you're going to miss this because Philip goes out to reach one. And he didn't know he's reaching one. He doesn't even know why he's going out to the desert, but we can clearly say that was a work of God. Church of Sardis is instructed, right? Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Now, don't think of perfect works as, as you know, never make a mistake, but this is more of the understanding of the, of the maturity of the works. Let's be honest. God is very much into equipping, training, and as you get started, you, you, you open your mouth, you believe you're hearing the Spirit of God, you go and speak forth these things. And even as I bring forth the, the first name of the man he, he found me yesterday. He saw the shirt. I'm walking by him. He, he found me. He saw right before his eyes what was going on. And when I spoke to him, he opened his mouth, and this is what he declared to me. He said, I, I, I don't know why the church, how did he say it? He said something. He grew up in, in, in the Catholic church, which will remain nameless tonight for us. We won't talk about it, right? But he identified the church he grew up in, and he said they were all about money whatever perspective he had when he was growing up. And he found me, and he began to speak of these things that he's seen. And then I started just, I'd open up the Bible to him in a couple of spaces. And I just started showing him a couple of things in Scripture. And, and as I say this unto you, uh, the, the perfect works, right, mature works. And, and so as you, as you handle this, as, as the Spirit of God leads to do these things, I, I say unto you, what we find out later with Philip as you continue through the book of Acts is his life was filled with faith and works. And, and he was alive, the spirit of God in him, living water flowing from his life. Back to the church of Sardis, verse 3. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Now, what have you received and heard? I have to go all the way back to the beginning. I don't go back to church history. I go back to the word of God. If I cannot explain my faith by what I read in the scriptures, if I cannot explain what happened unto me over what's written in the scripture, what did I really receive? 
Now, why is that important? Because many have found a way, like they did in Sardis, in order to continue and even have numbers and have things, yet their works were dead. If you thought the church Sardis only had two people in church, you'd be missing it. They are vibrant, yet dead. They have many, and they have works, but their works are dead works. They're not perfect. Remember, therefore, how you've received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, that's a call to prayer. I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know, uh, you will not know what hour I will come upon you. And, and that's a reference, I believe, to the, the church that has not made themselves ready for the Lord to come back. Certainly, uh, I believe that, that, that surprise. Do you ever want Jesus to, to, to surprise you? Think of the, the, the parable that Jesus taught of the ten virgins. Five had oil in their lamps and a supply of oil. The other foolish virgins did not have enough oil. And they realized that, and they went out to buy oil. But in the time they went out to buy oil, the, the, the bridegroom came back. The call came. And then they come, and they're on the outside of the door. First, they had asked others for oil. and said, you've got to go buy oil for yourself. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm going to say this just simply. The church of Sardis is the church without the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Because the way Jesus introduces himself, it's a wonderful way for Jesus to introduce himself unto the dead church by reminding them of the living Holy Spirit. He's the one who has the Holy Spirit. These are living works. Now, when I say it in that way, Jesus continues to speak unto them. He says, you have a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk worthy with me in white. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And he says, "He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments." I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, so here we go into a few verses, and uh, let's turn to these. I think these are good to see. You decide. Uh, If they're good, I'm going to take you there. Uh, Hebrews 6, verse 1. Hebrews 6, verse 1. When I study the letters to the churches that Jesus wrote, they come way after all the other things written in the scriptures. Even as we study the book of Acts, which is the beginning of the history, if you will, I, I said it last week, the prophecy through the seven letters to the churches is history in advance. There are seven literal churches. I always want to know, did Sardis repent? When I read the letters, I want to know about those seven churches and, and said, did Sardis, did Sardis get the Holy Spirit again? Did they, did they begin listening to the Holy Spirit again? Did they repent? Did they start watching? Did they start looking for the Lord? Well, the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews is written to the Hebrew believers who were in danger after having received their Messiah. They were in danger of drifting away. They were in danger of not finding their rest in the works of Christ, but still continuing in their dead works, three and four. You, you, see why, you see why the letter to the Hebrews is a warning for the Hebrew believers. Learn from your fathers not to right, rebel and harden your heart, not to turn aside to dead works, but find your rest in Christ. You, are, you cease from your works and you enter his works, and those are living works. Because the church can fill themselves up with activities and have no living works. And so the word in Hebrews 6 verse 1, 
Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Do you hear that word? Same thing that was later then prophesied to the church of Sardis. Your works are not perfect. Let us go on to perfection. Let's mature. We have the Spirit. The Word of God says this. We do what the Spirit says for us to do. And then those works bear fruit. They're they're living works. When you, by faith, go out. I can say of Philip, by faith, his works to obey the angel and the Spirit finds himself in that chariot preaching Christ to, to this government official who church history tells us went back to Ethiopia. And when he got back there, the gospel spread to the Ethiopian. And by the way, historically there were Ethiopian Jews there because many believe that the queen of Sheba who came up to hear Solomon's wisdom and he gave her all that she desired. Many believe in church, uh, not church, but in Jewish history. And Ethiopia believes this. And there's many Jews in Ethiopia that she came back with one of Solomon's babies, right, as she came back pregnant. Now, that's how it's tracked for Ethiopia. And the Spirit sends Philip out there, and this whole thing takes place. And I'm here to remind you, when you look at that, faith without works is dead. We're going to look there in just a bit. (coughs) But the word for the Hebrews, right, was, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Repentance from dead works. Repentance from dead works. Let's face it. The Jews who had the Old Testament and in having that, what did they form in 2,000 years between Moses and Jesus? By the time Jesus showed up, they didn't even recognize the one that their scriptures said they should be looking for. Their work was to receive the Messiah. What did Jesus say? What, what, what work must... The answer was, what work must we do to work the works of God? And what did Jesus answer? Believe on the one whom he sent. Faith without works is dead. And so this, this idea of like, how many times can you preach to Israel repentance from dead works? And this is the, this is the tone of the letter to the Hebrew believers in, in Yeshua, you know, Mashiach, the Jesus Messiah, and the word is, how many times can you keep laying the foundation? Repentance from dead works, repentance from dead works, repentance from dead works. He says at some point you've got to go beyond that. It's the same word of perfection or of growing up. If the church continues to live in the same dead activities, and let's, just, let's keep things going, let's have enough activity for the church, or where's the place where the works that are done by faith by the Spirit of God? You, you get insight onto how I view these things and look at them through study, listening. All I'm doing for you is presenting unto you, compare. You're comparing now the dead works listed in scriptures with, with Sardis compared to the living work of saving one man. One man is saved and he goes back to Ethiopia. Saved, spirit of God in him. And, and from that one man, the gospel goes forth into that country. Now, I think it's exciting when you read the stories of the missionaries who heard the Holy Spirit and they go to a place and they preach Christ there and they might preach Christ for years before the first person gets saved. And those, I, if you thought that was an easy way to go, you read their stories and you, you have such a romantic view of what the missionaries did. They laid their lives down, they lost it all, and they went to the place and they preached Christ and many of them were rejected, refused, and they keep praying, and through maybe many years until the first person gets saved. 
and maybe many years before they can give the people group a written language and then get the Bible into their written language. Then the Bible shows up in their language and, and they've been preaching Christ. 15 years in, the Bible shows up and people start getting saved. Living works. Maybe started with one man. I, I love the testimony of one man in, in India. Went to the city. All he did for the first three years of being there, as far as any ministry was concerned, was prayed all day long and all night long that he could. He, all he would do would be sleep and then pray. Eat, sleep, pray. Eat and pray as long as he could. And after three years, then, then he went out and shared the gospel and people began getting saved. That type of living work. Now, I present unto you the call for the believers in Jesus not to drift away or to, to rebel or harden their hearts, but rather they should go beyond the repentance from dead works of faith toward God. And then he adds doctrines of baptisms, laying on of hands. Look at how much the church has divided over those two things. Some don't even practice laying on of hands. Yeah. So John and I prayed for Tom yesterday, and as we're praying for him, he said, hey, can we pray for you? I said, and it's customary, right? It's customary when you pray for another to lay hands on him. So we're not trying to freak this guy out who doesn't know anything. Like, why these guys touch me? And I just, I just so I explained to him, and, and John was praying for a healing in his body because he described some problems he was having. And if he got healed, I mean, you, you understand this, right? This, if this is the work of the Spirit of God, and we're laying on of hands in faith, uh, the, the word to the Hebrews was to move on from that. Now, I can go all the way back to the beginning and I can preach Christ from Isaiah 52 and 53, like Philip did with the eunuch. Okay. You catch this? Where do you want to start? Which page of the Bible then can you take and then preach Christ under the person you're talking to? Which part of the Bible? And, and you move on from that. And the whole thing was that that the believers of, of the Hebrews who had the scriptures, they had the Messiah, and they, they knew these things. The living work is to take the living word of God, right? Think of Hebrews, right, 4.12, living word of God, sharp and powerful. Take the living word of God by the living water flowing from you, the Holy Spirit, John 7.37, a witness to Israel concerning the time in the wilderness. You catching this? And you And you take that, that which is alive by faith, again, the surrounded by the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews, right? Those of faith who by faith did amazing things, the power of God at work. Now you're in Hebrews, turn over to Hebrews 9.14. Don't you love Bible studies? I mean, it's like, wow. You start comparing things and you're like, look at this. And I remember asking my pastor early on, I'd listen to him teach the Bible, and I was like, how do you know these verses go together? He walks over to the shelf, pulls out a Thompson chain Bible, right? Hands it to me and says, there you go. That's all he said to me. He didn't show me how it worked. He, he just put, he put a Bible from a man who had studied and already linked the scriptures. He says, there you go. And I started reading and studying that Bible. I'm like, you got to look at this thing. This verse goes with this verse, and this is tied to this. And then you start, I, I didn't know this, but I would be reading my Bible and my devotions, and as I'm preparing to teach a Bible study, I, I didn't know what I was doing, really. Someone gave me the opportunity to teach a Bible study, and, and lo and behold, in my time of reading the Bible alone, the Spirit is teaching me something like, well, this is right over here where I'm preparing for the sermon. 
That was before the Thompson chain. It was before the internet. There was no sermons.com. There was no pastor's library at your fingertips digitally. Philip didn't need any of those things. Church of Sardis, right? Church of Philadelphia. And I remind you, we can get so filled up with resource and commentaries and access and knowledge and information, and we can not have any living works. Church of Sardis. 913. Uh, context here of Hebrews. Where's that? For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling uh, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Okay. So think of the eunuch seeing that. The eunuch saw that and he left Jerusalem without finding God. He saw that. Of how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? If he went back in the Judaism that he knew and what he saw up in Jerusalem and he went back, we would have no church in Ethiopia if the eunuch went back unsaved. But he goes back with the seed of God's word. He's got now Isaiah where he can open up the scroll with anybody he talks to and he can preach Christ from that passage because he received Christ. He's he, the living work. He come to faith in Christ and he has that and he goes forth. And that's the word to the Hebrews. Now, over to James chapter 2. Do you know that James wrote to the Jewish believers? James, uh, a brother of Jesus, right? Jude, who wrote the book of Jude. This James is not the Apostle James because by the time this book is, is written, the Apostle James is already dead. Herod killed him. We'll be getting that here in just a few chapters as we study the book of Acts. And as you put this together and, and you're seeing this, James writes to the Hebrew believers, the book of Hebrews and James together with the Sermon on the Mount, they're like, almost all looking around at the same thing, comparing spiritual with spiritual. James, who grew up with Jesus, I'm convinced the stuff that Jesus taught the disciples on the Sermon on the Mount, I'm convinced James saw that in the house growing up. You can, you can figure out whatever you think. If you think Jesus just all of a sudden brought teachings that were not rooted in how he lived, okay, What Jesus teaches the disciples in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is his life. Going the extra mile. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He teaches his life. Now, here it is. James 2, 14. What is a prophet, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? That eunuch, right, he saw it all, but yet didn't have faith when he left. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, now think about that. We can spot someone who's naked and destitute. You say they're a bum, they're homeless. We can see it in the physical realm, but what about the spiritual realm? Right? Do you recognize somebody who's destitute of life? Now, you catch this. And in that daily food, if someone says, depart in peace, be warm, be filled, you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Some will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. 
But do you want to know, O foolish man, that work, faith without works is dead? Then he identifies Abraham, and then he gets into this, these, these works of faith. And it coincides with, with Hebrews 12. Now, do, you, do, you, do you know your Bible? You read your Bible. You, you compare your Bible. And this is all goes all the way back to the beginning of the church in the book of Acts to see. And so here's my witness as I study scriptures that the measure of, of that which is living works of God has nothing to do with the numbers, but everything to do with the Spirit of God and faith in Jesus Christ. Catch that? So when you say that that's a living work, now again, back to Tom who we prayed with, and if he, if he is saved, then I say, that's, that's a living work of God. One man saved, one person saved. When you, as parents, you, you preach the gospel to your children and they get saved. Or maybe you have a family member and you're sharing Christ with them. You may pray 20 years for your, your spouse or 20 years for one of your children and they get saved. That's the place of, that's the living works. When the Spirit of God does things through prayer, not the numbers of people and activities, and I'll add a couple others, the influence that a church has or that the amount of money, and some even twist James to say the good that they do in the world. I remind you, the letter to the church of Sardis was dead works, and they were active. I look at this, uh, what, what Philip did in Acts 8, and I say living works of God. You can turn back there, and we'll wrap up for tonight. So I, I love comparing spiritual with spiritual. You take a look at this passage in the Old Testament and you compare it what's written in the New Covenant. As I read my Bible, I have a marker in the Proverbs, a marker in the Psalms, a marker in the Old Testament, and a marker in the New Testament. And I am amazed at how many times as I'm reading in my devotions, I'm connecting things that, uh, the Holy Spirit's teaching. Acts chapter 8, we left off in, what was it, 35, 36. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Uh, there is no church tradition that at any point in time that the eunuch is like, I, I know, Come on now, I, 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 as a pastor, get all kinds of contacts from people, and I have baptized more people on the last day that I ever see them. Did you catch what I just said? They inherently know that they need to be baptized into Christ. And yet, when I've baptized them into Christ, they disappear. Now, why is that? All I know is that they inherently know that that, that baptism for them is, is uh, that something that they have to do. Now, some might consider it it's a work that they do, and that's a, a work that they've done, and now they're saved. And I'm saying unto you, baptism doesn't save you, but if you're saved, what do you do? You get water baptized. Now, that's believer's baptism. I present unto you, we looked at, we looked at it all the way around, we looked at it, and I, and I brought you all the way through Hebrews, and, and it's in Acts chapter 8. And as he preached Christ, it's the eunuch who says, what hinders me from being, from being baptized? And just think of that. They're out in the desert. Where did, where did they come? Where do you find water? 
And they come to this place and they find water. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, we have this six-week course that you may study and we'll bring you in an interview before the board and they'll decide if you're worthy to be water baptized. Well, aren't you glad of the living works that you don't need a board decision, you don't need a class, you don't need a commentary. You, uh, you know what I share with people? And again, if they're a young child, I usually ask the parents, "Hey, uh, are are your children are your children are they believers? Is it because we do believers baptism? Like, do they believe? Have they received Jesus Christ? And then I'll usually interact and I'll say, "Well, who is Jesus to you?" Now, a couple of young men down here in the front row, right? You were water baptized on July fourth. Yep. You were water baptized again, right? You maybe don't remember the time you went in before, but I've taken you under the water and brought you out. I brought you out twice too, right? Now, what am I presenting? The eunuch, right, knows inherently he's to be water baptized. You know what else he's seen in Jerusalem? That those that traveled up to come to Jerusalem and they come up to worship in the temple, before they go up into worship, they go through the mikvah. And that mikvah is a ceremonial bath. And they've uncovered in the archaeology of Jerusalem hundreds of mikvahs around the temple. What's a mikvah? It's a place where you walk down the stairs into a pool of water and you come out the other side. You walk under, go under the water, come out. And what's the eunuch saying? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present it. He's like, what hinders me from being baptized? Uh, he saw the sacrifice. He didn't know what that meant. I'm going to present it to you. He may have even done a mikvah to cleanse himself to come and worship before a holy God, and he left dirty. Dead works. Do you know that if you baptize people without salvation, now think of all those people that have come to me, and I even say to them, if you are not saved, all that is going to happen to you today is you're going to get wet. But if you're saved, then this is going to be your testimony, your witness. This is going to be for you, dying with Christ, rising again. Now, you see how this works? So I, by faith, I've taken people under the water, and I know they're lying. One guy I water baptized, he high on meth. I didn't know he was high on meth. I know he was goofy that day. He comes back a month later. He says, I've got to redo this again. I was under influence of drugs. I said, so you know what I said to him? I didn't chastise him. You know, I said to him, oh, you just got wet the first time, huh? Now you want to actually give an answer. See, by faith, we don't have to, we do not have to police that which these living works. And look what Philip says to him. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. That's, that's the six-week class. I say, read Romans 6. Tell me what you think, right? That you believe with all your heart. And here's what he says. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The same testimony, the same witness, everything that Jesus says on this rock, you are Peter, right? And upon this rock, you are little stone upon this rock. What he said, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Living church, living, right? Same declaration, same confession. He water baptizes him. He commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now the word for baptism, right? Baptized in the scripture is immersion, right? Now, it agrees with the word and practice that they went down into the water and he baptized him. That means he went under the water and he came up. What a picture. 
What a picture of dying with Christ. So we did the kiddie pool on July 4th. And I baptized an adult in the kiddie pool. And I know one challenge I'm going to have with that adult, and he's in the kiddie pool. He's thicker than, than the children are. I want to get him all the way under the water. Why do I want to do that? Because I want to complete the picture of the truth of the scripture, which I believe are instructed to us. We die with Christ. And I believe that's what water baptism is to be. It completes that which God did. It's a living work. Believer's baptism is a living work that the church has. And, and there's others. you know. And my, one of my friends, when he found the scriptures, and he was reading in the part where Paul said to Timothy that through the laying on of hands of the presbyters, the gifts of the Spirit were given. The Spirit was given. And so he would go to churches, and, and he started out because he had grown up in the Catholic church, and he went and asked the priest of where he went to church, do you have presbyters here? <laughs> and I love it. He's asking, do you have presbyters? Now, we know about the Presbyterian church. What are presbyters? They're the elders. So the, through the laying of hands of the elders of the church, Timothy received gifts of the Holy Spirit. And by faith, my friend who's reading the Bible says, I, I want that to happen. I need the Holy Spirit. I want through the laying on of hands the Holy Spirit. So you have the living work of water baptism. That's a, that is a, an immersion. And believer's baptism, that's a living work. And I present that. That's what takes place in Acts 8. We can, we can say all that we want to say. And we rejoice over the large numbers. Even within Calvary Chapel, they, their water baptisms in the ocean. So many people were coming and getting saved. And they're being baptized right in the ocean. They would have baptism services. And, and out on the ocean because they had no place that could contain all the people who wanted to give that. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now through the laying on of hands, the presbyters, and then my, my friend came to Calvary Chapel in the beginning and he asked Pastor Chuck, he says, do you have presbyters here? Chuck says, well, of course we have presbyters. <laughs> and they said, said, come back on this Sunday next month and we are going to lay hands on people that Sunday to receive the Holy Spirit. Living works. And when my friend received the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands, right, he gave witness and testimony that he was filled, and he went forth understanding the Bible from that point forward. Spirit filled him, and he, now he had all the understanding, and he began to know what he was reading. Well, we wrap up here tonight. He commanded the chariot to stand still. They go do the water baptism, a living work. How do I know it was a living work? Well, by faith, they answered the scriptures. What did Jesus teach? He says, go into all the world, right, and make disciples of every nation, right, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And then this most wonderful phrase, and lo, or look, I am with you to the end of the age. So the promise of Jesus to the church, the living works are to continue. Believers' baptism is a living work. Gifts of, of the Spirit, Spirit given through the laying on of hands. By faith, the miracles, the healings, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, all these things that uh, that the church of Sardis, which was told to repent over deadness. And I am not here to admonish any one of us in the room. I'm here to draw us unto the word of God. Now, what happens next is actually a picture of the rapture. 
Now when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Angel of, God, angel of the Lord sent him there. The Spirit says, go talk to him. And they complete this living work. And immediately the Holy Spirit snatches Philip away. Harpazo. It's the same word. It's the same word to describe. You know what we, the church, are waiting for? We're waiting for probably the biggest miracle we've been waiting for is the, is the harpazo, the rapture of the church. Can you imagine what that will be like? Those who are alive and remain poof, caught up. How do I know it can happen? Look what he did with Philip. He raptured him, not to heaven, but over to Ashdod. He was found in Azotus, modern-day Ashdod. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea by the sea. Then he lives there. And his daughters have the Holy Spirit. And his daughters prophesy. Living works. Do you know that when you have gifts of the Spirit through the laying on of hands, and you use those gifts of the Spirit and they edify another believer, maybe it's a word of prophecy. right? Your believer's baptism, your testimony, living work. What are we looking for? Large numbers? I say you can counterfeit life with dead numbers. Right? If you have nickels and noses, you can give the appearance of something's happening here. You can even market the church and advertise and lure people to come to this, and you can even give the appearance in a revival meeting that there's revival happening. You can even give an appearance that so many people are getting saved. Turns out all the people down on the floor are the counselors who are going down there in case anybody gets saved. And it looks like you're filling up with all these people getting saved. But it was those who were prearranged to go down and counsel to others. And it looks like the whole stadium is emptying down to the floor to get saved. Now, time for the church, right, to go back where? Back to the history and agree together. I'm agreeing with Acts 8. That was the Holy Spirit. That unit got saved. That government official got saved, and he went back to Ethiopia, and the gospel spread. His baptism was a believer's baptism. He identified with Christ. He died with Christ. He rose again. He went forth living the new life. I woke up Friday morning like I do many mornings to see on my clock. The first thing I do is check my clock, 517. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I start the day with the word of God. I long for 517. I saw it this, you know, that Friday morning. I'm alive, right? Repentance from dead works to serve the living God. Hey, our old nature, if we could just dress up our flesh with church attendance, why, why get saved? But if you can't dress up your flesh enough to enter heaven, well, then you come to this conclusion, I must be born again. That's the real work. So pray for Tom, right, who we met. In Jamestown, not only that he'd get saved, I'm praying he, t- he calls me. So now I've got to answer all the robocalls on my, on my phone. Tom, is, I'm just going to answer, hey, Tom, is that you? I, I mean, might as well, right? If I get any call in a number, and then when they, when they say something, no, it's not Tom, so well, then you've got the wrong number. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the living works. Pray for the repentance of the church today. I pray for the repentance of the church of Sardis who's given themselves to dead works to have activity in numbers but not the work of the Holy Spirit, to not have regeneration, to not have gifts of the Spirit. We pray for us that we would watch. We would be ready. We would not regret your coming back, but we'd be looking forward to the rapture of the church. Jesus, come and fill us up 
and send us forth alive in your works to do those things you've called us to do. Get our eyes off the numbers and that we'd listen to the Spirit to go to the one, to the two. Maybe we talk to friends. Lord, send us where you want to send us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So may the Lord bless you. I pray you're stirred up. Right? Do you know that the study of church history is a fascinating study for believers? Right? Just to study church history and find out where has this whole thing gone? And then you can compare. I made a decision. My doctrines and my practices are not coming from church history, but they come from the Bible. That's how I live. How do I know that anyone before me in church history got it right? We don't, do we? We don't know that anyone who came before us actually did a living work or if they were manufacturing dead works. So may the Lord bless you to know that you have life in Christ and to share that out with others. If, if the government official can save a whole country of Ethiopia, uh, I'm so thankful for my brother. He preached Christ to his family. We got saved. How wonderfully simple that living work is. And then the Spirit gets in there, and then he takes over. And now I teach the Bible to people. I, I get to teach the Bible to people. And that to me is just like, that's a living work that I wasn't doing that before. One of, one of the guys asked me one time, he said, did you always want to be a pastor when you grew up? I started laughing in his face. I said, me? You've got to be kidding me. Then I told him what happened. See, because then I, then I give testimony of a changed life. I said, I grew up in church. I didn't. Honestly, when I left church, you know what I want? When I graduated, you know what? I wanted as far away. That was me. Others stay close. I want it out. Right? And it comes down to it now that I'm saved. You know where I want to be every Sunday? When people invite me to go do something on Sunday, you know what I say to them? Now I've got a better place to be at. Right? My family invites me, hey, let's do Easter Sunday together. So do it without me. I'm going to be with the church. It's Easter Sunday. I'm going to be with the church that I, that I get, to, get to share the word of God with. That's where I want to be on Sunday. So God bless you. Second sermon's over. You're at liberty. There's snacks. God bless you.